right, everyone. Welcome to episode 30 of the Backyard Banter Podcast. My name is Matt Harmon. I'm the host here of the show every week. If you've been following along, you know what we're doing here is uh, we're interviewing some of the best minds, some of the best people in the football world, the fantasy football writing industry. And we have a really great guest today, somebody who's a, uh, an analyst for Fantasy Labs and the kind of uh, the emperor of the the Rotoviz podcast chain, uh, Matthew Friedman. How, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. And I wouldn't say I'm the emperor. Uh, Fantasy douche is obviously the emperor of everything Rotoviz. I would say like I'm the the butler of the of the <laughs> podcast channel at Rotoviz. Well, that that's good. I mean, hey, listen, everybody needs a butler, and uh, who who doesn't hate on having having that? Uh, I don't know if it's the title we'd want, but every you know, you're a cog in the machine, and and that's important. So, um, one of the big reasons that we we, we wanted to have you on today uh, was was your role in the in the Fantasyland podcast. We'll we'll definitely get to that uh, at some point, but we're going to start at the beginning, as we do, kind of with every guest here on the show. I always start by asking everyone. What's how did you come to kind of fall in love with football, with fantasy sports or sports in general? Take us through your backstory there. Yeah, so I grew up in Texas, born and raised in Texas, and so I was a Cowboys fan. And my first memory of football was going to the, I believe it was the 1988 Thanksgiving Day game. And I believe that uh, Washington was undefeated entering that game and the Cowboys were horrible and the Cowboys beat them. Now that might be like the, the memory of a like four-year-old kid, but uh, like I just, I fell in love with football. And for me, it was football was maybe because of that first moment sort of like associated with family and friends and 60,000 people all cheering at the same time. And so just after that, I always loved football. And of course, the Cowboys, after that point, they got good very quickly. So like, who doesn't like celebrating a championship winning team? So for me, just from the very beginning, football was something that I always loved and sort of associated with, you know, like awesomeness and winning. Uh, And then since then, it's sort of been this very, it's like the sad journey of like that championship team falling apart. But uh, so I always loved football. I had friends in high school who uh, way back in the day were playing fantasy football. Uh, I didn't play with them in leagues back then. It was just always this kind of like nerdy thing that they were talking about. Uh, And then years later, after I graduated from college, I got back involved with them. We started a league together just as a way to sort of keep in touch. And that was about a decade ago. And uh, that first year, I was just I was hooked. You know, I had LaDainian Tomlinson. I had just graduated from TCU. It was like this wonderful like experience. And uh, after that, like the next season, we started a dynasty league and it just kind of became this obsession. So what I'm getting out of a lot of your story there is there's a lot of there's a lot of privilege uh, involved. You know, you're like, I love football because I was a Dallas Cowboys fan and uh, and they were winning a lot. And then you take you have LaDainian Tomlinson on your first fantasy team. It's kind of like you're, you're, you're sitting in the roses here, man. Yeah, no, I know. I won that first dynasty league and it was great. Like, you know, like the newbie coming into the league and I won uh, and I pulled off some fantastic trades, by the way. But it was, yeah, it was this great experience. And, and for me, it was always grounded in friends. I think for, like football, sports, fantasy sports, it's always been grounded in friends kind of from the beginning. And then from there, it just sprouted into something that I was, I'd say, like obsessed with to an unhealthy degree. Yeah, I think we're, we're all a little... Um too far on the on the side of the scale right. it's, it's an unhealthy obsession and that's what i always tell people when they ask me well how do you know what what sets you apart from everybody else I'm like i don't know i just spend a, 
an egregious amount of time on this. Uh, that, that's the key. Throw away the rest of your life, and uh, th then you can. And I guess you can be maybe good at this whole thing. But um, th that's really fascinating. One kind of a question, just spinning off that, just, just pops in my head as you were saying that. You know, being it, it, fantasy sports being such a thing attached to friends and football and everything. Do you think that that's kind of lost? in our social media age when I don't know about you, but I'm in a lot of leagues now with people that I've, I've never met outside of Twitter. Or do you think that maybe social media kind of replicates that experience? I think it replicates it because I think it's just another way to, to find people that you have uh, some sort of like resonance with. So, you know, like if not for social media, if not for Twitter, like I wouldn't know uh, Davis Maddock or like there are like a number of people I wouldn't know. You know, it's because of really of social media that now like I'm doing this job full time, like the creation of that network where people could could find other people like them. Like that is why I'm in the industry now. And, uh, you know, like I'd say at this point, some of my closest friends are people who are in the industry. And, you know, so if, if not for them, um, you know, like I, if not for, if not for the network of those people, I, I wouldn't, uh, I, I would just still be some grad student, basically. <laughs> like I'd be a guy who's pretending to write a dissertation. Yeah, uh, I com I completely echo your statement there. And and you mentioned the grad student thing, and that's kind of the next question I was, was going to ask you. I know that you have kind of a unique uh, background perspective of how you got into the into the industry full time. But you were you were in, in grad school, correct, or you were on the that that path? Take yeah, I, I was in grad school. Yeah, so um, at TCU, I was never really good. So I'm sort of like a professional student, like. I just like learning. I like reading. I like classes. And uh, it, it sort of goes into all types of subjects. So uh, at, at TCU, I I triple majored in biology, chemistry, and English. And it was oh just because I, I couldn't really decide what I wanted to do. Uh, and so I, you know, from there, I went into grad school in English into a PhD program. And uh, I knew I really liked Shakespeare and Renaissance literature. So I was doing that. Um, but at the same time, like I had just started playing fantasy football and so literally like fantasy football. And then like, I, I also, I, I took an interest in investing. Like those two things were taking up more of my time than grad school was. And, uh, especially the fantasy sports. And so I got to the point where I should have been writing a dissertation and I was kind of like starting to do the preliminary research for it. Uh, and then I started writing for Rotovis and that basically just like took up all of my free time. Yeah, that's interesting. Cause I've mentioned this a couple of times on, on the podcast that I was, that was what I was going to go down the, the PhD path. And then when I started writing about football, I, just pulled the ripcord out of like the application process. So you're a little bit, you're a little bit, a few years ahead of me, but um, kind of in this, sim in that similar sort of vein, I would say. Yeah, exactly. Like I was, you know, I had taken all of my qualifying exams. Really all I had to do was meet with a committee, tell them what I wanted to do and write the dissertation. Uh, and, you know, honestly, it would have been, I think it would have been a cool dissertation, you know, but it yeah. was the type of thing where it just wasn't the type of thing that interested me. And I knew at that point that I didn't want to be a professor. Basically, all I wanted to do at that point was play fantasy sports, you know, like, like, as I said, it was unhealthy, you know, yeah. but I got obsessed with it enough to where somehow it became healthy because that's just what I ended up doing. Nice. So you, you get you get caught on with Rotoviz. Um, how did how did that happen? Just was it through Twitter or, or something like that? Because you were you one of the like original 
uh, kind of pillars of Rotoviz. I, I I can't remember exactly. Yeah, I I mean not not a pillar, but I was there. You know, it was a situation <laughs> where you know, so Frank had the old fantasy douche blog, and then Sean Siegel was also writing a lot of fantastic stuff at Money in the Banana Stand. And then John Moore also had uh, his blog, uh, The College Football Experiment. And so uh, as a guy who was obsessed with Dynasty and obsessed with college football so that I could kind of get like a jump on on how these guys would do in the NFL, uh, I was reading all of these different blogs. And then uh, the the Fantasy Douche blog just kind of went silent. And then like a week or two later, Rotoviz popped up. And obviously he was writing there, Sean was writing there and John was writing there. And so it was just like, you know, like all three of these guys, I liked their work. They were all writing at the same place. And then maybe a month or so after uh, Rotoviz started, Fantasy Douche put up a, a call for contributors. And I was like, okay, I'm just, I'm going to do this. Like, I'm going to send him an email because like one, what do I have to lose? Like, I like writing. Uh, I'm, you know, I pretend it's like George pretending to be an architect. Like I, mm. I pretend to write a dissertation. Why don't I just actually write some other things that I'm interested in? Uh, and so I sent uh, fantasy douche uh, an email, different ideas in there. One of them was about T.Y. Hilton and Frank told me to write that up. Uh, I overwrite it's, you know, if there's one thing I'm known for, it's for overriding. And so like my first article was a 3000 word article on T.Y. Hilton um, you know, kind of you're looking in, at, you're in good company here. That, right. is, that, is, that is what I'm well known yeah. for too. Yeah. And, and so it's fine. I actually like, I know the date that my first article was published. I, well, I shouldn't say I know, but I believe it was March 14, 2013. Um, and so from there I was just writing for Rotoviz as much as I could. And especially early days, you know, and Jonathan Bales was also there who now, uh, is, you know, my boss, one of the co-founders of Fantasy Labs. And, uh, you know, I'm lucky to be the editor-in-chief there. Uh, you know, I think it's a great place. But at Rotoviz in the early days, it was this fantastic, really collegial environment. The email thread was unreal, just so many ideas going back and forth. And it really is kind of still that way to this day. But for me, it was just so exciting to go from uh, a, uh, I guess just sort of like this vacuum in which I'm playing in leagues with friends and I'm clearly the most obsessed to now have a lot of other people who are exactly like me all sharing their ideas. Yeah. I think that's the amazing part about when you get on Twitter or you get involved in a site like that, that you're like, Oh, finally, I've, I found my, uh, my Mecca, you know, that this, this, central location of all these other dorks that love fantasy football as much as I do or, or the NFL in general. I think that's the coolest part of it. Um, so when you got hooked up with Rotoviz, did you ever kind of have aspirations of, of doing it full time or did you, um, or did you just kind of imagine it be like kind of a hobby sort of thing? Uh, you know, I don't know. Like for me, like I, and I, I'm still like this, like when I'm in sort of like my daily grind of writing or things like that, like I'm, I tend not to think too far in advance. For me, it was just sort of like the desire to to write this article and then to be able to think of an idea for the next article. You know, I wasn't really thinking in like a larger galactic sense. It was just this desire to to contribute to the site and to be one of the peers because I respected all of the other guys there so much. I just wanted to continue to show that I, I belonged. Yeah, that, that, that definitely makes some sense. And you mentioned belonging, but also kind of standing out a little bit, you know, writing a bit long form. And 
do you think that comes from kind of your background in academics? Because I mean, I would say that that it it kind of it kind of works that way for me. I still can't like I still can't untrain myself to like I have to explain everything as much as possible. Do you feel like that that makes your writing style stand out a little bit? Yeah, I think so. I think it's so on the one hand, when I'm editing, or even when I'm writing some pieces, like I still whenever I'm saying something, I try to be very precise and very concise. At the same time, like I never met a joke I didn't like. And so like, if I see the opportunity to try to be funny, it's very hard for me to pass it up. Uh, And also, and I think this does come from the academic background, it's very hard for me not to explore a subject as fully as possible. You know, and so that's that's how you get into these 3000 word pieces instead of maybe like breaking it up and exploring different aspects of that topic from three kind of different perspectives and three different pieces. Right. That would be the much better way to do it Uh, just in terms for the for the reader. Also, probably as a writer, also to get more clicks on the website, you know, but like that's the type of thing like I never really thought about. Yeah, no, that that makes a lot of sense. I, I, I find that to be a struggle too. like. I always think that sometimes I could break articles of the series, but then I always just end up making it this, you know, 4,000 word opus or whatever on, on something that definitely could have been shorter. I, I feel you on, on that. One of the things that you're well known for other than, other than the, the long form writing is the, the workhorse metric with, with college running backs. When did that come about and kind of for anybody that's not familiar with it, explain it a little bit. Yeah. So one of the things that really amazed me when I was reading work by uh, by Fantasy Douche and Sean Siegel, and then John Moore picked up on this, was the idea of market share. And it's most uh, readily apparent with wide receivers, right? You can really easily look at, at a guy's receiving load and say like, oh, he had, you know, like 44% of his team's receiving yards. That's really impressive. But there wasn't really anything like that for running backs uh, in, in terms of kind of thinking about like their market share. And it's it's a little muddied because you also in college, especially you have running quarterbacks and they can really skew uh, the sample size or uh, or not really the sample size, but just they can skew the sample. Right. Like the representativeness. So you can have a great running back who just happens to have like a great running quarterback right next to him. And as a result, if you were just looking at all of the rushing numbers, you wouldn't get an accurate idea of really how much that running back dominated the rushing on his team when the quarterback handed the ball off. So I came up with a metric called like the non-quarterback dominator rating, right? Which you just say that and you're like, I don't even want to think about that. But the basic idea was that I was factoring out things like quarterback rushing. Uh, I was factoring out injuries. Um, and just looking at production on a like a comparative basis, how did one running back do against the other runners on his team? Um, again, on a percentage basis. Uh, and from there, that transitioned into the workhorse metric. Because what I found was that, especially on high-scoring teams, you'd have something like, like Baylor or TCU, just really any of these high-scoring teams, you would find that you would have a lot of second and third string running backs who would get production in trash time, right? And that would also skew the sample. And so I revised the non-quarterback dominator rating to adjust for game flow. Uh, And at that point, I uh, rebranded it the workhorse metric, which I think is much better. But it's I still think it's a great metric. It's just the, the kind of thing that at this point, 
I don't have time so much to sort of like mm. crunch the numbers and figure out exactly what the workhorse scores are for a lot of different college running backs. It's something that I still think is great. At the same time, you probably could just look at, at market share on the whole and then just adjust even if you do have a running quarterback and make adjustments for that. And so I think that's probably the the most efficient way to do it. But the workhorse score is still something that's kind of like near and dear to my heart. Yeah, well, it certainly sounds like there's a lot that goes into it, but it's right along what we talk about a lot on the podcast, you know, creating unique content to, to, put your, to bring something new to the community, but also make yourself stand out there a little bit too. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to lie. That was definitely like John Moore, I think, you know, maybe three or six months earlier, he just put out his like phenomenon decks, which was just like a bomb dropping, right? It was awesome. Uh, and so, you know, uh, and, and Sean Siegel has, you know, like, it seems like every time he speaks, he puts out a brilliant idea. You know, like I was, I was wanting to, to create some idea that if not like compete with their ideas, that would at least be like, I'm not like so far behind, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, and then it's it's all about uh, it's all about having something that you're known for. So uh, even if you're kind of standing in the background, they're like, "Hey, don't forget about me." You know, that's uh, it's uh, cer- certainly something important. Um, we're talking a lot about about numbers here, and this is something we just talked about with um, George Criticos on the last Backyard Venture podcast. Um, I-, I mentioned to him that there's nothing that bores me more at these days than the numbers versus film debate or whatever. I just I'm I'm not really interested in like fighting about it because we're all like, I'm just trying to solve the problem of like who's good and who's bad. Um, but there's certainly, there's certainly some, some questions about, about, you know, that I have about certain number numbers, method, like analytic methods, just as much as anybody should have questions about anybody that's studying film. But so what's, what's kind of, um, what's your opinion on, on why do you find that like the numbers perspective so much more appealing? Well, it's the kind of thing. So uh, I never played football. You know what I mean? Like, so I feel as if I'm like just me personally, I'm not qualified to Mm. look at film and evaluate it the way that other people are. And so it's not to say that I wouldn't, you know, like that I don't know anything about film or just, but like for me, it just wasn't the type of thing that seemed most readily available given my skill set, and also like i'm not gonna like grind out hours of tape like i like watching football i don't like having to sort of like analyze on that level for me i would rather analyze numbers that was just kind of like where i was coming from um just in terms of like how my mind worked and so it's the kind of thing where i don't like i don't think that watching film is useless I think it's just the type of thing that is useless if I'm trying to do it, you know? And, uh, but yeah, it's, it's funny. Like I think that the community within the last three years, uh, has, has become much friendlier, you know, like I, like 2013, like that summer was unreal. Uh, like there was a lot of animosity on Twitter, uh, between the, the numbers, you know, analysts in the film, the film grinders. And it was, you know, like, I'm glad we're not at that point anymore. Like, I think there's mutual respect now on both sides. And also, I think people just like, they don't want to argue on Twitter anymore. You know, like, I think they're kind of tired of doing it. So like, yeah, you know, if people have differing opinions based on the type of perspective that they bring, like, all right, like, that's cool. Eventually, we'll see who's right. And, you know, that'll be it. Yeah, right. And nobody's going to lose their life over it or probably even their job. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I think this is something I was mentioning that, yeah, that's, 
so it's kind of a silly uh, debate and no this you mentioned that summer before your summer 2013 that was before i was even really involved at all so i, I don't even have much recollection of that um, i mean it was it was unreal so do you remember too that were you around 2014 i think you were yeah yeah i i guess i started backyard banter the website and blogging in uh probably like December, November, 2013. So I was around for the 2014 draft. Right, so 2014, right? That was Odell Beckham coming yes. out, right? Yeah. Like that was like a firestorm, you know? Yeah. And like, I think after after Odell Beckham, people just kind of like, they simmered down. Like last year, like I was surprised by how reasonable draft Twitter was. And yeah. I feel like it's the same kind of thing this year. Like it just seems like people don't really, like they don't want to argue about things anymore. Yeah, well, it's like, what the hell is the point? You know, I've I've pretty much personally sworn off debates on Twitter that are even like, even that'll potentially be like polite debates. I've just sworn off the debates that I know are going to go. I think this. Well, I think this. Like, what what's the point of going back and forth like thirty tweets between that? You know, and it's not yeah. that I'm it's not that I don't want to share my opinion or that I'm like you know scared of engaging somebody that's different from me. It's just like I've got other things to do. I guess is my perspective. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah it's, I agree. It's, it's the kind of thing like I just, I, I wrote one, one piece really early on. And this actually was a piece that I broke up into different pieces. It had to do with the, the Rams running back situation as crazy as that sounds. Right? Mm-hmm. It was like a five piece article on, on the Rams running back situation. And who were the running backs at that time? Like Daryl Richardson. And- yeah. Daryl Richardson. Um, you had Isaiah Peed. Um, and it was before the, the draft. And I said, like, I could see them doing something like maybe even Zach Stacy in the fifth round, which was like, like, and it was like in a list, but it was like, or if they draft someone like blank blank or Zach Stacy, like in the fourth or fifth round, like, you know, this is an option. And ultimately like what I suggested was like a sort of like money ball type of strategy, like, like draft all of them or draft some of like the later ones, because whoever ends up emerging from that team is going to be like a, a running back too. Right. Mm-hmm. And like, that's what happened with Zach Stacy. Like it was maybe like the best call ever, but when I, um, I mean, for me, best call ever for me, which is pretty low bar, but um, you know, when, when that article came out, like there was a lot of like Twitter fervor over like how stupid of an idea it was. Um, and you know, I think at the time, like I did it in a league, I ended up winning that league. Um, you know, I I don't think it was that bad of an idea, but it was just so contentious and there were so many people going back and forth out on it. Like after that, I just kind of, I stopped, you know, like I, I, I think I really haven't gotten in a Twitter thing since then. Yeah. I mean, I would say that you're, you're pretty, um, you're pretty like calm on twitter if i could use one word like yeah i I suck at twitter i mean that's another way of doing it like (laughs) like there's there are tons of people who are awesome at twitter like who really know how to like talk and promote themselves like i i don't know how to do that i just like i sit in my office and i write and i edit you know what i mean well you did quote tweet yourself today so i mean that's a pretty that's a pretty strong level of twitter it's a it's a step in the right direction yeah, for sure. Well, now that that's a now that it's a function that's easy to do, which by the way, it was not hard to quote tweet yourself before. Like you could just copy the link from your other tweet, and and it's basically the same thing. So it was uh, amazingly hard for me. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, yeah, but so I guess it, it's just that like workman's like perspective for you that you that you're just not really focused on uh, getting the fire tweets out there and, and lock, like racking up the the faves or whatever. Yeah, not a lot of hot takes on my Twitter feed. That's just kind of the way I roll. Uh, I'm no Denny Carter. No, God, I, nobody is Denny Carter. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's that's fantastic. So, um, kind of getting back to you a little bit here, uh, transitioning from from actually taking this from a part time thing to a full time opportunity at Fantasy Labs. How did that come about? Kind of, I know that's like a super open ended question, but uh, oh, yeah, it is. Uh, so, um, last fall I was working in inordinate number of hours for fantasy sports. So I was doing, uh, you know, I think maybe five or six podcasts per week for Rotoviz. I was doing one for PFF. I was writing a piece for PFF, a piece for DraftKings playbook, a piece for fantasy insiders. Um, you know, I was just like, uh, I was working hard. Uh, and, uh, Brian Mears, who is full-time at fantasy labs and an editor there, uh, he DM'd me and said like, Hey, you know, we're kind of looking for writers. What do you think about contributing a piece? And then like at the very end, he dropped this, it was almost like a throwaway line. Like, you know, and like, we're also kind of looking for full-time people. I don't know if that's something you'd be interested in. And it really wasn't something that honestly, that I had thought about sincerely until he said that. And then I was thinking like, okay, like, well, you know, let me like think about this. And so I sent, I think I sent an email to him. He put me in contact with, with Bales again. Uh, and I knew Bales kind of going back to the early days of Rotoviz. And so we had a conversation and it just kind of went from there. And I think early on, the idea was that uh, just, you know, since I was doing a lot of podcasting at Rotoviz, you know, maybe I would be doing some podcasting at Fantasy Labs, but I think the idea was like, let's just kind of get me on the team and then figure out kind of where I might fit best. Um, and, uh, you know, it just, it kind of went from there. I started writing a lot of pieces per week. And uh, eventually as we got a few more writers on the staff, uh, they needed, you know, someone to help out with the editing. Uh, and so that's kind of how that came about. Um but it was it was just the situation where I hadn't ever really thought about it all that much until I got that DM. And then it was like, well, like if they're, you know, if, if he mentioned, hey, you know, like full-time job, like maybe I should explore that because full-time jobs, I mean, as, as you know, they are so rare in this industry that like if you have the opportunity to, to get one, even if it's the type of thing where you feel like maybe in terms of like your life or something, like you're taking a step back or whatever, like it's, it's the kind of thing where like you just, you sort of have to take that opportunity to see where it goes. Yeah, totally. Like it, it is the, uh, it's the needle in the haystack and it's almost like you don't just take the needle out just to, to throw it back in the haystack, you know, that like it's, it's something worth exploring and everything. So that's, that's awesome. So what, what do you do? Like, cause it's fantasy labs. For people that don't know is, is like a da- strictly daily fantasy site. I think it's founded by, you mentioned Jonathan Bales and, and Peter Jennings uh, yes. Instagram on Twitter. Yeah. So um, it's a strictly daily fantasy focused. Uh, so do you do other sports other than football and what do you do kind of on a, on a day to day basis there? Sure. So, so at this point uh, I edit and I write basically all day and uh, I definitely, write about other sports, uh, mainly at this point, baseball. Uh, sometimes like we're getting to the point where it's, you know, starting to be acceptable to talk about 
doing research for NFL pieces that might be released later. So I'm looking forward to that. Right now I am doing baseball pieces. Uh, And then also I do a series called The Labyrinthian. And it primarily has to do with just thinking about ideas that are outside of fantasy sports and applying them to daily fantasy sports, or or maybe even ideas that are still kind of in fantasy sports, but applying them in ways that people haven't really thought of. Uh, and so those are much more theoretical, uh, you know, kind of looking for unordinary ideas, because I think that's really where you can find the edge in daily fantasy sports by, by being willing to think outside the box. Um, so that's a, a series that I really enjoy. Uh, and then really like at this point, uh, since I'm editing, I'm just editing, you know, like, uh, the idea is to have as many strong writers as we can on the site. And then they submit pieces. I edit them, get them up on the site and like, you know, the next day do exactly the same thing. So, you know, it's like, really like, uh, I, I guess I'm fortunate in that I don't have to get much sleep to function. Um, so like I, I wake up at three in the morning, you know, like if there are pieces that are in from the night before I start editing them, uh, if there aren't pieces there, I start doing some writing, you know, so it's, it's the type of thing where like I grind, you know, like about 12 hours each day, like in the kind of the work day time of day. And then the work day is over. I eat dinner, you know, like I, I talk to my wife a little bit and then I get back to working, you know? And the thing is like, I'm a workaholic, so I love it. Um, but it's the type of thing where it's not built for everybody. And I think if you want to be in the industry, you have to be the type of person who is willing to work yourself as hard as you can, because if you aren't that type of person, someone else who is that type of person will get the job that you wish you would have gotten. Yeah. I think that was one of the first things I I said when I, when I set out for this, like I did not always have a work ethic, uh, like especially when I was in high school and even early in college, but something clicked, I guess when I like later on in college and like, I just became addicted to working and, and researching things and, and just like consuming as much information and learning about as many things as possible. And that was one thing, like, I totally agree when I set out to get in the industry, I was like, you know, I might not be good at anything and who knows if I'm still good at anything, but like, <laughs> nobody's, nobody's going to, uh, nobody's going to outwork me for it. Like that, yeah, was, the, it's, that was the thing. You know, it's, it's like a, it's like a running back, like volume yeah. is much more important than efficiency. You yeah, know, right. like, like I'm going to put in the volume and that's actually, that's one of the things that I really like about fantasy labs. I feel like I'm at a place where everyone else on the team is willing to work as hard as I am, you know? So like, it's this great thing where instead of it being like, Oh, I'm doing all of the work, like, no, like we are all doing all of the work. So it's, I think it's a really exciting place to be because we are all working as hard as we can one, because that's just, that's how we're driven. Like we we're just the type of people who like to work, but then we're all working for the same goal of making the company as good as it can be making the content, the analytical tools, all like all of that as good as it can be. So it's, it's really exciting for me. The days are long, they're tiring, but they're also like really energizing. Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. It sounds like um, it's so cool when you get like into a team that fits you really well and that everybody works really hard. Like that's, that's, I mean, that's the peak. That's what we're all looking for, I guess, in our, in our professional lives. Interesting. Like I, when you mentioned the the labyrinthian series, I'll admit I have I haven't read any of them, but 
that sounds really fascinating. It sounds like something that would be right up my alley. Like, can you just for anybody listening that's not and me <laughs> that has not that has not read any of them? What's can you give like one example of, of an idea behind it? Yeah. So um, one of the the pieces that I wrote, I think within the past couple of weeks had to do with um, sort of like ownership arbitrage. And so arbitrage was this idea that, you know, it's in finance and I worked in finance for a little bit, uh, but fantasy douche had this idea of arbitrage where you would look to draft like a wide receiver or some player in a lower round when you could project that he might have production very comparable to a guy going higher in the draft. Right. And so arbitrage was this phrase that became popular. And then now like it it became almost like so popular that the idea of arbitrage is still around, even though almost no one uses the phrase anymore in a fantasy context. Um, So a recent article was thinking about applying this idea of arbitrage to daily fantasy sports. Right. And I think ultimately where uh, in DFS you can apply this concept of arbitrage. In arbitrage, like it's like the the technical way of thinking about it is sort of like like quote trading the spread. Um, and so if you're looking to trade a spread in DFS, the most important spread is uh, has to do with ownership percentage in tournaments versus like the percentage probability that a guy will have success. So let's say like you're in a tournament and you've done a lot of research. You see that a guy has maybe like a 15% chance of meeting the production that you need him to get for his salary. But the general population you think will probably roster him like two and a half percent or 5%. Like you have like a spread there of like 10 to 12 and a half percent where you have the opportunity to profit. And so looking at spreads like that is kind of an arbitrage perspective. Uh, And so like like that was one of the recent articles, but it's the type of thing where article to article, like you have no idea what the topic is going to be because I don't have an idea of what the topic Mm -hmm. is going to be when I start writing. Like I have a list of, at this point, I think it's like around 110 different ideas for what I might end up doing for different articles. Uh, and so it's just like, I wake up in the morning, I peruse the list. If there's something that catches my, my attention, then I put it on there. Yeah, that's really cool. It's something I've like, that's definitely something I'm going to check out and, and, and read, but it's something that I've always like wanted to do. I've never had the space to do it. Like take, take kind of like even so like social theory was, was my, was my thing. That's what I wanted to do in, 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 in grad school and PhD study and everything like that. But uh, obviously not, but it's something that I've tried to take some of those ideas and apply them to like fantasy sports or, or just football in general. Um, but I've just never had the space to do it. So that's really cool that you're, yeah. that you're, that you're doing it. So don't, so my, I'm like essentially saying like, if I rip off your idea in the future, <laughs> this is no, no, go, go for it. Yeah. Uh, just, just name it something far enough away where it's not, it's not blatant. Oh, yeah. But so the, uh, yeah. And it'll actually and, if I name it, it'll be, it'll be t- that labyrinthians that's clever i'll name it something stupid like theory study fantasy like bullshit i don't know it'll be bad well i mean that's not that's not bad and actually the uh sort of the academic idea of bullshit was one thing that i i talked about in a labyrinthian but but i and actually and you know that's just the type of thinker and writer that i am and i'm very fortunate to be at a place that 
encourages me to write pieces like that. And I think that's actually one of the things that really distinguishes our content from the content that you'd find at other DFS content sites. Uh, we have these longer form pieces that are more theoretical, kind of less about who you should be playing in any given slate and more about the ideas that can help you uh, think of different strategies through which you can eventually maybe win a tournament or, or become a better cash game player, right? So I, I really do like those pieces. And I think those are really emblematic of what sets us apart or what differentiates us from some other DFS sites. Yeah, I love that. I think that's killer. I'm definitely going to, like I said, I'm definitely going to one, check the workout and then steal it. Not the exact work, but the idea maybe. It's something I've wanted. Like I said, I wanted to do wanted to do that for a while, but yeah, I'm going to rip your stuff off. That's a, Thanks for coming on the show. <laughs> yeah. yeah no, no, go ahead. One mat to another. You yeah, can, you can take as much of it as you want. Oh, beautiful. That's that's great. And listen, everything is like basically been done before or exactly. will be done in some sort yeah. of sense. But um so kind of the, the, one of the reasons I really wanted to have you on, like I mentioned up top, was the Fantasyland podcast and uh, what you guys are doing there. Um, but even before before that, like you and John kind of started the original, the, as it's said on the podcast, the flagship wrote of his, uh, wrote of his podcast, the road of his radio. Um, what was kind of the impetus to do that? And I'm like, you know, it's it's grown into you guys have the road of his report, the road of his mailbag, and uh, now obviously Fantasyland. What, what, how did you guys kind of get started doing that? You know, it was a conversation that John had with Frank. Um, I think John is always tending to be kind of on the cutting edge of certain things. And I, he just wanted to start a podcast, you know, so we talked with Frank about it. Frank okayed it. And, uh, you know, John sent an email to the thread saying like, hey, guys, I'm going to start a podcast. And I immediately sent him an email being like, hey, I don't know if you need a, a co-host, but one, you absolutely need a co-host and that guy should be me. Um, and so... Uh, you know, I was fortunate that he he said, okay, and it kind of went from there. And it started out as a show, and this sounds crazy in retrospect, but when we were interviewing three people per episode, um, but ultimately I say it sounds crazy, like really Fantasyland kind of came out of that idea of like, hey, let's get as many people, or not as many, but as many people as reasonable onto an episode and let these voices all collide uh, and, and kind of circulate around this idea. Uh, so early days, we just had three guests. There wasn't really much structure to like why we had those three guests. They weren't all talking about the same thing. It was just like, hey, let's get some guests who are really awesome on the show. Uh, and then, you know, it just kind of went from there. Uh, you know, about a year later, Kevin Cole came on and he started with the numbers game, which I, I think is a fantastic show. And now he's co-hosting that with Nick Giffen, Roto Doc, who is, is so great with numbers. So I think the two of them together is great for that show, but really it just started out as like, Hey, you know, like Roto is like, we're like, we're getting, you know, bigger as a site. Like we should probably have a podcast and that like, that was basically, I think as much thought that as went into it just at the very beginning, it was just like, uh, yeah, like we should do a podcast. Yeah, sure. I mean, that's, that's what it, that's what it always is. Like, you know, we should do, we should talk about it. We should do a podcast. Uh, that's, uh, I, yeah, one of my, one of a group of friends of mine, like I will joke about that all the time, like at a bar or something, we'll be out and be like, yeah, we should podcast about this. We should podcast about this. And they never do obviously, but yeah, that's how most of these things start. But that's, that's pretty cool. I remember back in the original road of his days when it was the three guests, that seems it's, it's, it's different from that now, but yeah, that's, I forgot, I forgot that it was that way. And, uh, 
it's pretty cool because you guys would always have what I so liked so much about Road of His Radio when I first started listening to it was you guys would always have like different perspectives on there too. You know, you'd have somebody like a like a Matt Miller who's a big draft name, but you have somebody like a somebody somebody from Road of His is doing really heavy numbers work, and then you know this that or the other. That's what I always really liked about. It. I like that that idea. Yeah, it is a great idea, and I think you know, kind of like transitioning this into fantasy land. That's one of the things that we still try to do with that, that show to get people with different perspectives who are still, you know, experts on an idea, but different perspectives to get them all on the same episode talking about that idea. And, you know, for a while we've wanted to do evergreen shows on the road of his radio channel. Uh, And, you know, like, as you know, like, evergreen shows are kind of hard. And so like you do that with these interview shows, like that's a great way of getting evergreen content. Uh, It's kind of hard to do that, especially when you're in season and there's the grind of like, Hey, you know, this player got injured. We got to talk about it. Um, And and so fantasy douche had mentioned for a while, like, Hey, I, you know, I want to do an evergreen show if that's possible. And uh, he mentioned that, and, and it was something that I had been thinking about too, but he mentioned that actually, right as I was transitioning into fantasy labs. And so I, there was a point where I didn't want to say like, yes, like let's do that because I didn't know if I would be able to do that. And I didn't want to commit uh, to doing it. Um, you know, but fortunately with the contract that I worked out with fantasy labs, I was able to stay at Rotoviz in you know, the, the capacity is the podcast producer. And once that happened, I sent Frank an email being like, yeah, let's, let's do an evergreen show. And once that happened, it snowballed very quickly. Uh, he came up with the name Fantasyland, I think, like in our first email. Um, I had just done a, a uh, an episode on the Fantasy Football Comedy Hour, which was hosted by Peter Overzet. Uh, and I was just blown away, one, by how good he was as a host. And then two, how great he really was as an editor, as kind of like a technician of sound. Uh, and so once, uh, once I knew that there would be someone else, because at that point I couldn't host the show because I was at fantasy labs, but I could be a producer for it. So it was a question of being able to find someone else, uh, who I thought would be able to carry the show. And once I really had a conversation with Peter, I knew immediately that he was the guy for the show. And so from there, just it, it just kind of snowballed. We started circulating a lot of ideas about what we wanted our early shows to be. Uh, and, you know, we, we decided that the first show was going to be about spreadsheets, which we thought was, one, sort of niche and nerdy and quirky, but, like, also, like, very Rotoviz. Like, you know, like, it, it's very Rotoviz to have a show talking about spreadsheets. So um, that was the first show, and you know it's just kind of gone from there. We're producing the uh, the fifth show right now, which will be out uh, in a week or two. Yeah, that's awesome. So for for people that that don't know what about the show, it's called Fantasy Land, like you mentioned. Um, and I think that what you guys say in the show is it's the show about everything you didn't know that you need to know about fantasy football. Um, is it something, something like that? I might something be like that. Something. I can't even, I think uh, everything you didn't know, you wanted to know about yes. fantasy sports, something like that. Yeah. So, yeah. There you go. Not need, but want. Yeah. No, but that's, 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 so that's kind of the purpose of it. Um, but it's, so you, I think you guys have had, you've had four episodes so far. Like you mentioned there with the spreadsheets, the, the girls episode, 
the zero running back episode in the history of Roto World. Not in that order. I messed up the order. But yeah, so it's been those four shows so far. So again, it's kind of, you know, kind of like like this podcast in a way that it's about fantasy football, but not at all about fantasy football. Like kind of exactly. But it's yeah. but it's not but it's unique in that it's not like this podcast because it's for this like you know hit the record and we talk and then then it's over like you mentioned there's a lot of editing and everything so what was kind of the inspiration behind that? So you know I I'm a fan of NPR podcast and Gimlet podcast and Fantasy Green. Douche definitely is he listens to a ton of podcasts and so we wanted a show that was kind of like that. Uh, and there, I mean, there really isn't a show that's like that about fantasy sports, but I think there should be, right? Like as an industry, as an industry grows, I think the, the type of media covering the industry, the kind of like the meta media about the industry should also evolve. And so like, we just kind of saw this as an opportunity to talk about like the, the ideas circulating around fantasy sports, like not necessarily the things that directly have to do with fantasy sports, but everything that touches on fantasy sports. And that really kind of like makes it as enjoyable as it is. Yeah. It's, there's so much that goes into it. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm obviously, I think I mentioned Sigmund on almost every podcast, but, but Sigmund and I are obviously very, Sigmund Bloom and I are obviously very tight. And one of the things that he like paints, Paints our industry as like this, you know, grandiose story that's playing out sometimes, which, you know, I I don't put it that way, but also like that mindset so appeals to me that that it is this thing, like this big story that's kind of playing out and we're all actually playing a role in it. And I think Fantasyland does a great job of kind of talking about that with the Roto World episode, especially, especially was cool because it just went through the history of the site that we all use every day. Um, so I think that's a really cool idea. Yeah. So for me and coming from the English background, like everything is a story, like even, even things that have to do with numbers, you can still put a narrative to it. And, uh, and so like on the one hand, narrative can be bad if it's the type of thing that you rely on too much. Um, and you kind of take it as gospel instead of a story. But on the other hand, I think narrative can be really useful because it can help structure your memory. It, it can help you kind of keep things in your head that otherwise wouldn't be there. And so, and also like, I, I feel like story is just so foundational to civilization. You know what I mean? Like it's stories are important. Uh, and so the ability to tell stories where maybe you like people don't see stories. Like, I think that's a really special thing. And, and ultimately like there are different goals for fantasy land, but I feel like if at the end of the show, you can think like, Oh, like I didn't know that that was a really cool story. Like I, th- then we did our job. Yeah, that's, that's so well said. And especially just how stories are an ingrained part of all of our lives and, and civilization going back hundreds and hundreds of years. I think that's a, that's a fantastic point. You mentioned goals of Fantasyland. Um, what what are the goals? And you know, you're only you're 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 midway through the fifth episode, so I imagine things are kind of coming um, coming to, to head. One, kind of, what are the goals? And two, can you give us any sneak previews of any future episodes that might be coming down the pipe? Yeah. So, I mean, the goals, and, and as I say, because like I'm such like a task oriented guy, for me, like the goal is always like, okay, let's make a great episode. You know, like that's, and so like one, whenever we make an episode, we want to feel that like we like, you know, to use like a sports metaphor, like we left it all on the field, you know, that like, (laughs) that like we put everything into the episode that we could and that we are proud of 
the actual product that's out there and that people can enjoy it. Like on a bigger level, like we want the show to be the type of thing that starts to branch out of fantasy sports and like, like quote unquote, like normal people will start to listen to the show. Uh, You know, like something sort of like the league, you know, like that was a, a show that I think people who love fantasy sports really enjoyed, but there are also people who know almost nothing about fantasy sports and they also liked it. Like that's the type of thing that I think eventually we would like to do with the show to get it big enough to where like people who don't really even care about sports care about this show because they like the stories. They like the narratives. They like the voices, right? They like the characters who are, who are represented. So that's like kind of a bigger desire of the show to, to make it become like the first fantasy show that branches out of the industry and touches like normal people who just like listening to a well-produced podcast. Uh, and, and then you ask the question, uh, any sneak previews? Yes. And it's, it's very timely, um, but it's also throwing off our production schedule. Our next episode is on daily fantasy sports. Uh, and so there have been some rumors recently about yes. two big companies merging. And so like, you know, like it's a question of like how far down this, like this rabbit hole of production do we want to get and then have this like huge thing explode. Um, and then also we have, uh, decisions being made in New York, basically as we are talking. Uh, and so, uh, you know, DFS is going to be our next episode coming out, but that's why we're not sure if it's coming out this next week or the week after that. We just kind of need to let the dust settle a little bit. Uh, but we are also starting to uh, record some for an episode on predictions for the 2016 season and an episode on late round quarterback. Nice. Well, those are topics that everybody everybody loves, and it sounds like that you um, again when I when I you know kind of when I started this podcast, the same thing. It's like oh, well, I just like somebody something that um, something that people would like to listen to that want to get into the industry or whatever. But then you know, as people outside of the football world, people who don't even really give a shit about fantasy sports have been like, oh, I really like your show. It's just good to hear stories. You know, it's kind of that's that's always a cool goal to have. So I think that's I think that's very. You and I are clearly on the same wavelength about about a lot of things, and I like I, I dig that. That's that's good stuff. Um, uh, so, this has been great, Matt. Uh, just kind of final few questions before we get out of here. One thing that I always um, ask the guests recently, um, and we've kind of talked about it a few this in terms of like infighting, or whatever. So I kind of want you to go in a different direction, maybe about daily fantasy because. Fantasy Labs is a DFS is a, is a DFS company. Um, what's kind of something you see in the industry that that you that you don't really like or you don't particularly care for? Oh man, that's uh, that's a hard one because there's so much about this industry I I do like. One thing I will say, and it, I don't feel this way about a lot of sports, but I do I, I do have these questions about football. Uh, it's such a violent sport. Like, I mean, that like, that's what the sport is predicated on, like physically imposing your will on someone else to prevent them from doing whatever it is that they're trying to do. It's different than baseball, right? It's, it's, I think even different from basketball or, or hockey, right? Like where you're trying to uh, like kind of put an object somewhere else. Whereas like with football, you are like with your own physical person trying to carry an object somewhere else and someone has to, you know, hit you in order to prevent that from happening. Like, so it's a violent sport and, you know, there, 
you know, we have more research that emerges about, you know, brain injuries and, you know, these guys don't last long. Like they really, like they beat their bodies up to make in the grand scheme of things, like an amount of money that is not as large as people think it is after you take into account like agents and taxes and like all of this stuff. Uh, And so part of me feels really guilty about liking football as much as I do, because as much as I enjoy it, like there are players out there who are like in physical harm because, you know, because I enjoy watching this product along with millions of other people. And so like, you know, part of it is that like, I, I try to reconcile this into thinking like, well, like, is this okay? Like, is it, is it okay for me to enjoy this? Uh, and so that's not something that's necessarily like industry dependent. It's sort of like, like on a human level, you know? Um, and, and so, you know, I think that is one thing that's like facing the NFL in general, like how to make the sport still entertaining to people without it being like so devastatingly violent. And, and then also, I mean, you have players who like some of these players aren't really nice people, right? Like they do things that are violent. And then the fact that they, they like participate in a violent sport that doesn't really show well for the league. Right. So there are all of these different components and you like, just as a person, you try to think about like, how is it that, like I can be a responsible person and like a good person and, but still like really enjoy this sport. Right. So that's like one thing that is, it's not like always in the back of my head. Uh, it's just something that, you know, like pops up from time to time. And then I try to push it back down so that I don't have to think about it for another three months. No, I, I hear you. It's that's, that's a really good answer that nobody has uh, actually said so far. And, um, I, I would totally echo a lot of what you said there and especially actually working for the league. <laughs> there's uh there's, there's definitely some, sometimes I'm like, is, what, is this right? <laughs> you know, is this, is this okay? So I, I, I feel you on that. Um, if that makes, if that makes any bit of difference, but so kind of, I really appreciate, again, I really appreciate you coming on Mr. Friedman. This has been fantastic. Um, my last question to you, and it's the one uh, that I give everybody before the show is I always give the, uh, give the guest, one last shot at the floor here before I rip it out from under you. Uh, so uh, go ahead. The, the floor is yours for, for whatever you wish to say. Uh, I really wish that I had something more important to say, but I guess I should just give the sort of like generic plugs like, hey, yeah. listen to Fantasyland and, and go to Fantasy Labs. But uh, no, I guess I should just say, you know, like one, I, I feel very privileged to be a part of the of the industry at large, and then also the the companies and the people I'm associated with. And so I know that there are people who are wanting to break into the industry on more of a full-time basis. And so I think one of the most important things is just being associated with people you can trust, right? Like Fantasy Douche, I think has a very, like, oh, like one, he's just, he's brilliant, right? But he's, uh, he's also a hard worker and like, you have to be able to trust the people that you're working for. And if they're not working hard, like a lot of your work isn't going to receive the publicity that it could, or just be seen by as many people as it could. And, uh, and then you have to trust them. Right. And like, I think fantasy douche is a guy who has so many friends because like, even if there are times when he's like brutally honest in a way that people don't like, like he's still trustworthy, like he's still honest. And I, I think the same thing goes with the guys at fantasy labs. Right. And so, 
you know, I think if you want to be in the industry, try to attach yourself to people you can trust and then in turn be someone who is trustworthy and work as hard as you can and subscribe to fantasy labs. Perfect. Hey, that was, that was one of the better, uh, you're the floor is yours, uh, that we've, we've had in a while. It's a question that always trips everybody up, but, uh, yeah, I, I totally agree. And, and definitely, um, if you have not, you know, please do subscribe to fantasy land. I think it's a really cool show that, um, is well-produced and, uh, Peter is very talented. I will I'll give a shout out to him. It's, uh, it's been fun to, to see him in that role. It's very cool. The, the, the work that you guys are doing, they definitely subscribe to the show. If you do not already, and, um, and, and sorry, you know, sorry to interrupt. There's one more thing I have to say, really quick anecdote. No, so when, no when we were starting to do the show, you were like interviewing all of the guests who are going to come on our show. <laughs> and so like literally like every three days, uh, Peter would send me a text message being like, what is going on? Harmon just interviewed another person on our next episode. Right. Yeah. So it was just, so like, we need to like work out like a timeshare, like sure, you yeah. need to tell us who you're going to interview and we'll do the same thing. That way we can stay out of each other's way. Yeah. That sounds, that's, that sounds agreeable. We'll, we'll just, we'll definitely discuss that. Um, and you guys probably have a bigger payroll than I do. I mean, you know, your check is in the mail obviously for being on, on the show, but uh, you guys can probably sway all these guests. Now like, I'm running out of money here on the backyard banter podcast, uh, but no, that, that's, that's actually really funny. Uh, and I, you know, that is true, especially like the Roto world episode. I think that came like right as I interviewed Evan Silva too. So that's, that's very timely. You're right. Um, but, but anyways, again, if you, if you haven't, please do subscribe to fantasy land. It's a good podcast. And, uh, Matthew, thank you so much for coming on today. This has been fantastic. Uh, I'm really glad we got to do this and for everybody listening, if you could please, you know, rate review and subscribe to this show if, if you like it, uh, because I think it's halfway decent, but you know, here we are. Uh, so thank you all so much for listening and I hope you learned something today.